Hey, everybody. Tyler Suters with the Consumer Technology Association. We are the owners and producers of CES, the largest, the most influential tech events on the planet. We are here to get you CES ready. The big show is January 8th through the 11th, 2019 in Las Vegas. And today we are talking all things CES, and that's about as straightforward a title as we can come up with. Our conversations today are with the experts on CES, some members of the CTA team here in Washington, D.C., who are veterans of the show, who can tell you the key areas you want to visit, some of the main exhibitors, the innovations you can expect to see, as well as the programming. This can sometimes be overlooked, but you want to make sure you know where to go to find the experts in your favorite fields and maybe some you haven't yet discovered. Also, we are speaking with one exhibitor that has been with CES since day one. Fifty years later, a conversation with Panasonic. That's all coming up today on CES Tech Talk. Karen Chupka is the Executive Vice President of CES. Gary Shapiro is the President and CEO of CTA. Karen, Gary, great to have you with us today. It's great to be here with you, Tyler. Uh, yeah, we're excited. A lot of experience. You've seen a lot at your time during CES. What about what's new this year? Every show has a new feel, a new energy to it. Um, what has your attention right now, Karen? Well, we actually have a couple new and exciting areas this year, but what I'm going to talk about is probably that's one that's expanded because it's uh, one of our new and emerging technologies, and that's uh, artificial intelligence. We have a dedicated area at CES for it, but you're also going to find it throughout many different sections of the show floor, including uh, everything from transportation to health. So there's not only just one area, but also coverage in many of the uh, industry segments. Mm -hmm. And Gary, one thing that I've heard you talk about so much, and, and this inception in part came from your own experience, is the fact that we have dedicated resilience area at CES. And this, this comes from a bit of a scare you had in real life. Sure. We were in uh, California, in Napa Valley in October, right when the fires hit. And we were literally surrounded by fires. We were having a board meeting there, a special meeting, actually focusing on CES. And we were um, cut off. We had no electricity, no telecommunications service. We didn't know what was happening. We had to make decisions whether to go or stay. And we decided quickly to go forward with our meeting, make it earlier. We literally knocked on hotel room doors to get our board members to the meeting early. Um, and to go forward, we had to uh, have a meeting without electricity, without light. We actually used a window and no hot coffee. I know this is a first world problem, <laughs> but the, it did get us thinking about the importance, especially with the climate change, with other things that are happening in the world, with the move towards localism, about how technology can make a difference. Redundancy, solar powered, and uh, we certainly uh, combined with um, some of the efforts ongoing by the Gates Foundation, where we are focusing on city planners, others, technology companies that are looking at what's likely to happen in the world and how we could prepare for it. And that's one of the answers I think technology could provide and CES can be the venue. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that is new, I think every year, is, is something that you're very passionate about as well, Gary, that is the serendipity of CES, that you go with uh, a plan, a strategy as a company or as an individual, but you don't know what you're going to find or whom you're going to meet. Yeah, the irony here is that here Karen and I represent a uh, 4,000 companies that exhibit in a sense or 2,000 members of our association that are all technology companies. And we have the technology to allow people to 
listen and learn via without leaving their homes, frankly, uh, with their computers or other devices. And yet we have this great face-to-face device, uh, face-to-face event that relies upon the five senses. You you get to see and feel and understand a, a company and how they're presenting an image, but you also get to find things that you don't plan for, which is one of the great unmeasurable values, but that's one we hear about so frequently from buyers, exhibitors, journalists, and others, and investors. They go to the show and they discover things they don't know. They meet people they didn't know before or even see before. They were able to judge them and they establish relationships. And the reason it's important today is that as every company is essentially a technology company, mm-hmm. the truth is if you want to succeed in business today, you have to do deals outside your vertical comfort zone. And the success of CES and Karen was such a big part of creating this strategy was to recognize that the world is converging. The mm-hmm. different disciplines have to be together, different types of technology. And you have to be able to discover, if you will, other verticals that you're not have no familiarity with and cut deals and communicate it. It puts a value on in business, on cross-cultural communication, on teamwork, and on getting out of your narrow area of engineering expertise or business expertise and doing other things. And that's what innovation is about. It's discovering something new. It's putting pieces together in a different way. And that's the value and beauty of CES to me and so many others. It's just the, the joy of discovery and the optimism you get from it, mm-hmm. the sense of a, a greater purpose, the sense of optimism about the future of technology improving the human condition. So, Karen, Gary uh, turned a phrase that uh, we've touched on for an entire podcast episode here. That is, every tech, every company today is a tech company, or every industry may be a tech industry to some degree. And that is also reflected by the new companies that you have coming to CES. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think, as Gary said, you know, uh, companies are looking at how they can stay on a cutting edge and how to stay relevant. And, you know, I think that a lot of people and a lot of uh, corporate decision makers are trying to figure out how technology potentially will change their business. And I, I was um, traveling earlier this year and met with a, a group of people who had come to CES for the first time, and none of them were technology companies. They were all actually um, manufacturers of, of various industries. And they told me how valuable it was to come to CES because they had never thought about what they could be doing differently within their own companies until they kind of walked in and saw everything that was taking place, be it from, you know, transportation to like resilience, as Gary mentioned, or artificial intelligence and robotics. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, you know, I think there's a lot of value there. And I think that's why we see companies like um, John Deere, for example, that are coming to exhibit at CES or several years ago when uh, Carnival Corporation came and unveiled its new basically smart ship at CES um, is, you know, what what we know is uh, every industry is now trying to figure out what their uh, tech strategy is going to be. And CES is the perfect playground to come and witness it all. Yeah, we were uh, talking earlier about the juxtaposition of, of two of the companies we had on that podcast, which is John Deere on one hand, L'Oreal on the other. It's hard to get two more differentiated <laughs> companies, right, that are both talking about tech. But it's true that it's permeating so many industries, and, and Gary Karen cites Carnival, and their CEO Arnold Donald gave uh, a very memorable keynote just within the last few years. Um, you yourself had the chance to experience that personally, not as the CEO or a tech industry leader, but as a potential passenger partaking on a cruise and seeing how technology is implemented into what might be considered a non-tech experience. Sure, uh, earlier this year, uh, after the the keynote from Carnival, I visited Miami and saw their, their smart city ship. 
as it was laid out, and it was fabulous, the direction we're going in. And that, to me, was not only about shipping. It's about where cities are going and the services and, and different w- new apps and businesses will be created as, frankly, the world is moving to cities now, away from rural areas. And that requires not only broadband deployment and, and smart and self-driving cars, it requires provisioning and getting utilities and doing all sorts of things in a way which allows a livable environment. And the creativity, we're coming out and we're seeing this tremendous growth in the smart cities portion of our show. And we have so many uh, great thinkers and business people focusing on that. It's become a mecca, if you will, for smart cities around the world. But it's not only, as Karen just said, it's, it's not only about any one area. Uh, this weekend I was, I was at my kids' sporting event in, in Detroit, and I was listening to some of the parents that are going to CES, even not knowing my involvement about it. Uh, to be a little odd. <laughs> it was a little strange. A, a, a company uh, that's a French company um, that has a new way of, of met, bending metal to build cars and to build other mm. stuff. There have four people going to CES, uh, two of them from France, because they see the, the possibility of innovation. They want to learn more and they want to meet people who are interested in doing something different and better. Um, you know, and of course, the, the auto infrastructure, which is in Detroit, is huge in terms of uh, going there because of the smart transportation. Mm. But CES is, is just a wonderment of discovery and adventure and excitement. It's why, from my first day I went there uh, years ago, I've always wanted wanted to be part of it, and it's what keeps me going. There's nothing like going to CES and being there in person and experiencing it. And it's something that it's almost a shared group of people that go there that experience it. They understand technology, they understand innovation, and they, they have something special that they've shared, and they become the knowledgeable ones that have been to the world's greatest innovation event. So when you bring up uh, the auto sector in Detroit, um, it's important to note that, that transportation is really a key word that you all are using when you talk about CES, because it's not just autos right now, or it's not just drones. Uh, You almost can't use a big enough umbrella term for everything that transportation encompasses as to where tech is going. Well, and I think that that's true. And I think, you know, I mean, I think even if you look at how we lay it out in the exhibit halls, um, you know, we have an area where, where there's transportation focus, but it leads right into the smart cities because you almost can't have one conversation without the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's everything from looking at um, individual automobiles and and or um, you know, as you kind of alluded to drones, but there was, you know, a single person drone right. showed at the, sh- at the show right. and, and there have been transportation jo- drones showcased at the show. So I think that's really the interesting thing is that, you know, it's, it's really not just thinking about what's the present and what cars can do today. It's really thinking about how all of that changes, especially as self-driving cars comes into play, especially as 5G rollout happens and, you know, what we will be doing in our cars uh, in five years may be far different from how we use our cars today. And I think those are some of the, not only things that you could see at CES, but those are some of the conversations that we try to have on our conference programs as well to help educate people to think about how does that impact things like insurance and or, you know, even just driver's license tests and things like that that will all have to be looked at going mm-hmm. forward. So those are um, not only not only things you could see and touch at the show, but you can also come and learn because we have not only um, industry experts, but also government officials coming to talk about those very issues from not only the United States, but from all over the world, mm-hmm. because uh, some of these things need to be looked at from a global perspective. Uh, that touches on something, Gary, that I've heard you say before regarding self-driving vehicles specifically, but I think this is writ large across innovation in general, in that you can't make uh, judgments or predictions based on what is now. And where I've heard you call out self-driving vehicles is that, do you know, will they even have a steering wheel? 
will there be a driver's seat or a passenger seat? What will the inside of the cabin look like? Um, in some senses, the rules we know will be broken, whether it's self-driving vehicles or you know, pick a category. Absolutely. Listening to one of your earlier podcasts, uh, you could certainly hear that when you were interviewing someone from Ford. There's no question that self-driving is changing the cost of a car structure. I mean, obviously, initial phases it's adding, but you will be getting rid of all the things you just mentioned. Why would you have a steering wheel and all the apparatus and costs that goes with that, and weight as well, mm -hmm. as you get to a safer self-driving vehicle? But, but getting back to it, what we're looking at and what you see at CES that's so interesting is the enabling technologies. Right. You see... Um, certainly with uh, self-driving, you see a lot of, you'll see a huge number of demos and cars and you see them without, some of them without the, the driver. But the enabling technologies, the chip companies, NVIDIA, Intel, Qualcomm, and, and, and all the others um, are, are certainly big. AMD, we're having a keynote from the head of AMD. We're seeing that, as Karen said, with 5G, which we have the leaders of the telecom companies talking about 5G coming. Mm -hmm. The artificial intelligence replete throughout the show. If there's one thing, uh, certainly journalists will be talking about, it's AI. And then there's VR and AR as well. Um, certainly, And then there's other areas that are related. Who would think that sports would be so affected by technology? Right. Yet we have this right. huge area that keeps growing. Our health is certainly affected. And, and we're seeing so many business opportunities and creative people not only doing interesting stuff for consumers, but also solving fundamental health problems. For the first time, actually, we're actually certifying doctors with with continuing education credit yeah. because so many health professionals are coming and insurance companies are coming. As Karen said, every company is a tech company and they come there to see us, to, to, to see, to learn, to be stimulated, to be excited, and to cut deals. And that's what we're seeing. Our, our challenges, frankly, are really ones of of, of growth, in a sense. We want to make sure it's a great experience for everyone that comes. We want to make sure it's not too expensive. We, you know, we are a nonprofit organization. We want to give back in any way we can. But Las Vegas is such a great place where it has a great airport, has three of the 10 largest convention centers in the country. It has more hotel rooms than any city in the country. And it is designed for hospitality and for doing business. And that's why we're there. So, Karen, Gary mentions content people. In, in general, and I'll use that as a loose term, but that's, that is not a bad description for what C-Space is. Um, and that's an area that, uh, for anyone who hasn't been there, I encourage you to get there because this is a confluence of Hollywood and media, of content and advertising and marketing. Um, so it's not the manufacturing necessarily, but it's a lot of the idea in the marketplace that is driving the manufacturing and opportunity. Well, it absolutely is. And it's also, you know, it's also, um, as you'd mentioned, brands and, and agency focus as well. So we have everything, you know, from like the Hulus and NBC Universals over there to, um, you know, Spotify. Uh, and, and actually this year, one of the other uh, things that we're doing is we're moving our, our sports conference content over there because so much of that aligns with what's happening Um in the discussions at C-Space. But, you know, it is where the content uh, and creative and entertainment community all come together. And it is a little bit of a different venue because, um, you know, a lot of a lot of what's happening there are, are um, in, in a sense, uh, plans being unveiled for the upcoming year. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's much more private meeting taking private meetings taking place. But we have um, also companies that are putting more experiential exhibits on display. And then what we have is the C-Space Storytellers stage where we bring in um, about 12 or so executives throughout the course of several days, um, just talking about what's changing on how, mm -hmm. you know, um, everything from data management to advertising to marketing to content develop development is changing um, and, and how people are reaching the consumer. And um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of become its own headquarters now for anybody that's involved in brands, quite frankly. And, you know, and I think the sports conversation will just add nicely to that because, 
Um, sports is not only about the quantified athlete, but about also immersive media, um, entertainment, and and creating a better fan experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of those things tie together, and it's almost uh, probably at least doubled in size this year. So it's going to be a pretty uh, pretty hopping place to check out if you get a chance. And you have a, a bit of a personal stake in that, in that you are a major sports fan, generally <laughs> teams from the city of Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, what element of that? confluence of technology and entertainment and sports and content gets you the most excited as a fan, not as a tech executive? Well, I think it's a lot of things. And you, you see a little bit of this playing out in, you know, uh, different groups that are, that are experimenting. And, and even in addition to um, the Olympics, uh, has had rolled mm-hmm. some of it out this mm-hmm. last year. And, you know, I think it's where you get to see a little bit more of what's going on behind the scenes. So whether it's how fast is that pitch or, you know, how how has that uh, team defended a play or as we see in, in hockey, it's, you you know, whether or not that goal's really gone in and now right. they have cameras on right. it and you can actually see whether that puck has crossed the goal. But, you know, more importantly also, things like concussion protocols and better ways to manage, um, you know, players' health and safety, I think, mm-hmm. are, are coming into play. And, and, you know, I think those are good for everybody across the board. And it doesn't just play out in team sports. I mean, we see that, you know, playing out in NASCAR and almost every other uh, form of athletics out there, which is um, which is also interesting to see. And it, you know, I think it makes it a, an even more exciting uh, way for the fans. To, to kind of be involved and track with their favorite players. So, huh. um, Gary, you mentioned earlier enabling technologies, and I would expand that here to ingredient technologies. Uh, Eureka Park, the home for startups, is an excellent place to find those. How do you, as a veteran and, and someone who spends so much time with innovators and entrepreneurs and startups, identify what, what you find or what, what, what stands out as especially interesting when you're able to spend some time in Eureka Park among those 1,100 startup companies that we'll see this year? You know, I first joined the association because I was a consultant and I attended my first board meeting and the discussion about raising the cost of exhibiting. Uh, the large exhibitor said, we have to make this show so that anyone with an idea can expose it to journalists, investors, mm-hmm. partners, big companies, um, and, and buyers, of course. So we took that idea, Karen and I, and said, let's start something for startups a few years ago. And it, it blossomed from you know, around 100 companies to now over 1,200 companies. And that is absolutely exciting. It's, it's something where you walk around and you see the excitement and you see people literally changing their business ideas as they get more feedback. And when they leave, they almost always have a different business concept of when they started, but they get may get investment from a Mark Cuban or a deal with Walmart or a lot of major companies send people there to, to enter partnerships or make investments or get ideas and buy things from them. So it's a, one of the most successful things that we've done that I'm really proud of because it's, it's consistent with the American spirit. Now, these aren't just U.S. companies. The U.S. definitely has the most. France has number two. Um, but it is something where it's, it's inspiring from around the world because we're still, in a sense, startups are very important. And big companies and startups now have realized, small companies, they need each other. It's not a conflict. It's a matter of big companies can't innovate as quickly as startups can, and startups need that first customer or investment, and it all happens at Eureka Park. It is the one place that people just love to go to, they love to talk about, they love to talk to the the startups and innovators. And, you know, the toughest thing is after a year or two, they have to graduate and move on, (laughs) but we all, there's no shortage of companies waiting to fill their space. You can't always stay in college, right? Right. Um, So as Oh, I was going to add one more thing to that, which is, and and you started, Gary started to say this, which is, I mean, there are 40 different, uh, there are startups from 40 countries that are represented at CES. So 
um, it's probably the largest um, startup place in the world because you're not, like he said, you're not just seeing people from the United States, but you're seeing it from all over um, all over the world. So when I talk to attendees, uh, you know, people from the VC world, certainly the media we deal with on a regular basis, Eureka Park is one of their favorite spots. It seems like the approach to navigating all of those startups and all those booths is as unique as the person you're asking. So in the limited time that you all have, that you're free at CES, how do you approach that area? I mean, what, what guidance do you give attendees who have three hours to go to Eureka Park? How do you approach it? Well, definitely download the CES app. That is first and foremost because that is always going to help you um, be able to sort and, and decide, you know, what product categories where you want to see. Um, you know, the other thing is that we do try to um, group like companies together, um, but then there's also country pavilions within Eureka Park. So, um, you know, if you're looking for, if you're looking to connect with people that are in other parts of the world, you usually can tell that because they're they're grouped together and they they show their country colors. Um, but definitely download the app. And uh, and use that as your tool to help uh, decide. And actually, you know, one other thing that sometimes people don't realize is the app will help you even um, navigate. Meaning that there is um, technology enabled in it that will help you go from booth to booth and help you guide your way through the floor. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's a great tool for anybody planning anything at CES. Yeah, I have found out firsthand <clears throat> what happens when you get lost in the booth, uh, <laughs> <laughs> booth to booth, and then the app can actually save you. Um, what about your approach, Gary? I mean, you you spend time talking to some pretty serious VC names, uh, Kevin O'Leary, Mark Cuban, to name a few. How do you approach Eureka Park? I, I just, uh, in a weird way, look forward to the time when I'll be able to spend a lot of time there because even if I'm there two hours or three hours, it's just never enough. Not and enough, I'm, It's right. frustrating, honestly, because, and I think anyone should leave enough time to spend at least three or four hours there. Uh, you know, some people may want to approach by the language they speak or there's there's some country pavilions which are pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. but or, or if you're interested in a certain area. I mean, certainly... No one can see the entire CES. Like we have over 4,000 exhibitors there. It's over 2.7 million square feet of exhibit space, and it's you'll know you just can't see it. So that we rely on journalists and others to help tell the story of what they think is exciting. We have award ceremonies like innovations that are important, and others do as well. Uh, media has various awards. So a lot of it is goes on way after the show, and you learn much. The CES is 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 good for inspiration, contacts, starting relationship, and if you're a buyer, figuring out what it is you want and how competitors are doing and what's new, how companies are positioning themselves. But it's certainly, it's it's not the complete answer. We're in a rapidly changing area of technology. There's other great shows that are out there as well. There's other great business events and you got to do a lot of homework. And you, you know, the, the worst thing you could do is do nothing. If you, if you sleep in the world today, you, you are losing ground because your competitors <laughs> are out there. Others are taking advantage of the opportunities. Mm -hmm. Can I make one shameless plug? Please, I also man. have a book being released there, CTA's book, uh, Future Ninja, which will be uh, talked about out there. And I'd love to meet anyone listening to this to say they've listened to this and sign it. And I'll give you a special autograph uh, <laughs> at the one of the book signing times. That that is not shameless at all. I think that is actually helpful. Um, in the time we have left, Karen, um, looking forward to 2019, the primary slate of uh, speakers is out. Um, whom are you most excited to see? And though that may be like picking one of your favorite children, however. 
Well, you know, I think that's that's absolutely the hardest thing to say is who am I most looking favorite to see? Because I think if you look at our um, keynote stages and all of our stages, we have a lot of really great talent um, throughout, you know, throughout our 200 plus sessions. And um, and actually every day it gets populated more and more. I think there's a lot of really interesting people on there. Um, you know, I think clearly the keynotes are um, are all going to be talking about and looking at some uh, some of the emerging technologies, especially in AI and data and things like that. Um, but, you know, I also think that there are some really great speakers on, on the super session stage. I mean, clearly it'll be interesting to see how um, the the day dedicated to uh, having continuing medical education credits um, uh, plays out and, and some of the experts that are on that stage. Um, so I'm excited to see a lot of it. And I think for for us, sometimes the hard part is, how do you, when somebody asks, you know, what what is it that I need to see? It's really hard to keep that into a condensed answer. So I always feel like I'm throwing in the kitchen sink by the end of the uh, list of things. But I will add something. Yes. Is that we increasingly, the impact of what countries do in policy is important. And what mm-hmm. we're seeing is probably a record number of of ministerial-level people from around the world who want to see what's going on in innovation. They want to, in a sense, replicate the U.S. miracle. They saw what Emmanuel Macron did uh, when he came as an economic minister. And we have so many. And the policy implications of self-driving, of drones, of artificial intelligence and robotics, all the things we see at CS will be discussed. And CS is increasingly a forum for the discussions of these big issues. Mm -hmm. And probably a good time to mention uh, the second annual CTA International Innovation Scorecard will be released. Yes, we, uh, with a very transparent uh, formula, rank countries, developed countries where we have data around the world as to how innovation friendly they are. And uh, countries are paying attention to that. I was just with the Finland uh, Prime Minister last week talking about it, and he was very aware of our rankings of Finland. Of course, the fact that they ranked at the very top probably got his attention. <laughs> the ones at the bottom, though, I don't hear from. Uh, but generally, everyone wants to have their countries be innovative because that's where the future is in terms of the economy and jobs. Maybe the most insightful advice either of you will give for our attendees listening, um, in 30 seconds or less, your top advice for CES week if you're an attendee. Well, I will say definitely get some sleep and uh, and drink plenty of water, and I'll let Gary add his. Plan ahead, wear comfortable shoes. Uh, objects are actually further than they appear in Las Vegas, <laughs> especially hotels. Pay attention to our, our, we have a tremendous investment in buses that work really well and get you there quickly. Plan your meetings so that they could be all in one location each day. That way you're not spending a lot of time traveling around the city. Um, and, and just uh, be open to some free time and to discovery. And I would add one more thing, which is um, introduce yourself to someone you don't know, because quite frankly, that's where the serendipity happens. And, and the serendipity is what's the magic of CES. Well, it is the most influential tech event on the planet. Gary Shapiro and Karen Shapka may know more about CES than anybody else on the planet. A real pleasure to have you both with us. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, so shifting our apps a little bit, we're going to move from the show floor into an area you may not have explored yet of CES. That is C-Space. So our residential expert on this topic is Gene Foster, our Senior Vice President of Marketing and Communications. Gene, great to have you with us. Good afternoon, Tyler. Especially how busy you are right now running up to the show C-Space. We hear so much about the convergence of Hollywood and entertainment, content, media, the advertising world's all in one place. Uh, You're especially well-suited to talk about this area. What is it that's so meaningful to you about what C-Space brings as a congregator? 
So, so Tyler, as you said, and, and for those of you who don't know, C-Space is our dedicated program at CES, targeting chief marketing officers, brands, the ad industry, the entertainment world, and the media. We bring them together in one location at, at, at CES. It's in the Aria Hotel. And this is where all of these groups come together and essentially look at the impact of technology in that industry. Given my, my background as a marketer in the technology and telecoms industry, I'm particularly passionate about C-Space. And as far as the companies we're going to see, the names that will be on stage and, and on display at, at C-Space, Gene, these are some of the biggest brands in the world. Not necessarily tech companies, but they are very much in the tech space. Absolutely. I'm so excited this year for, for C-Space and our C-Space conference program, both our uh, CMO Insights session, which is on Monday, January 7th, uh, where I'll be leading a panel with the CMOs of Nat Geo, NPR, and MasterCard, huge names in the industry. Um, but also we've got other sessions like Michelle Peluso of IBM will be on stage. Keith Weed of Unilever will be on stage. Mark Pritchard of P&G will be on stage. Um, many, many more leading CMOs will be taken to the C-Space stage um, that really goes to show that every company these days is a tech company. Yeah, cue the hallelujah chorus right there. That's perfect. Um, well, today's guest from outside of the building here at CTA is, is someone that is very much in your world, Gene, in the marketing world, right? And from one of, if not the longest term exhibitors at CES is Lauren Salata. She is Chief Marketing Officer with Panasonic. And Lauren, good to have you with us today. Hi, Tyler. Terrific to hear to be with you, and I'm very excited to be here with you and, and uh, Jean and talk a little bit about CES 2019. Yeah, so Jean and I were just discussing uh, the 50-year celebration of CES at 2017. Um, Panasonic is one of a very few companies to celebrate 50 years with CTA and CES. Uh, how much, how drastically has your company evolved from day one back in 1967? Wow, uh, quite a bit. So first, let me say how pleased we are to be such a strong partner with CTA. I think we've grown up together in this effort in many ways. Um, but, you know, uh, Panasonic has really transformed. Um, we are, uh, for 100 years, Panasonic has developed new technologies for one simple reason, to move us all toward a better life and a better world, which is, of course, our brand promise. And we have seen an evolution from our consumer electronics uh, heritage to more holistically serving businesses and governments as well as consumers through things like intelligent integration of physical products with new digital platforms and AI. Uh, we are effectively merging the physical and digital world, the real and the virtual, and creating better experiences for our customers and theirs, uh, similar to how we started in, in our consumer electronics business. 100 years. It's amazing, <laughs> an amazing history. So obviously Panasonic is an iconic brand, um, and I believe you, you guys are um, number 76 in the Interbrand Top 100. Um, as a CMO, um, how have you kept customers informed of the brand and what that brand stands for today? 
Well, it's events like CES and participating for those 50 years that has helped us ensure our customers are coming along on that journey with us and to understand how we're evolving as a business. They come to CES each year not only to see the latest in innovation, but to experience the future and now. And aside from opportunities to engage and experience with our customers, we believe our biggest opportunity for the future uh, comes from leveraging our historical knowledge of of the end use and, and requirements of the customer. And so we pride ourselves on really putting the customer at the center of everything that we do. So, so can you share a little bit more about the, the point you made earlier and just build on that? You talked about, obviously, we, we all know Panasonic is a very iconic consumer brand, but you mentioned business to, to business. You mentioned a government market. Um, can you talk about that shift in a little bit more detail um, and how you have started to anticipate those customers and their, their needs so as we talked about, uh, Panasonic has uh, celebrated our 100th anniversary last year in 2018. We actually kicked that off at CES last year. And we've been embarking on our next is now thinking both inside and outside the company. And what most people might not know is that Panasonic in North America is uh, a completely transformed business. And, and that has happened over the last probably five to to eight years, um, the majority of our revenue in North America um, is derived from business to business and business to government customers. And so while consumer, and we're very much still in the consumer business, and of course it is our heritage, and it's certainly our heartbeat, um, we continue to innovate around our core technologies, such as imaging, projection, infotainment, sound, and integration of systems. And we've been able to extend these uh, by either combining them with our deep uh, views and experience and knowledge of how customers um, like to live, work, and play, um, and also leveraging and integrating today's disruptive technologies um, where we're able to put customers on a path uh, to better experiences um, and deliver that in an unexpected and and, and good way. Um, So it may be looking at it from a two-tier approach where we always keep the end consumer in mind, but we're working ever more closely with our direct customers to to co-innovate with them. So can you give me some examples of some of those other solutions that, you know, people may not know about directly, again, and not associate with the the Panasonic brand? So in some ways, uh, I I hate to uh, sort of I don't want to let the cat out of the bag on some of the things that we'll be talking about at CES. Oh, go on, tell us. Yeah, we're, we are holding the bag, and you can open it anytime you want, Lauren. Right. <laughs> so, you know, um, Panasonic really um, is, it, you can look at our business sort of in these, you know, categories of capability. So um, we are very much focused on mobility and, and the connected mobility space, which enables smart and safe and comfortable and environmentally responsible mobility for individuals, businesses, and entire communities. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about that at our press conference. That's just one area. Another is intelligent living spaces, um, enhancing the quality of people's lives um, through human-centric technology that actually senses and learns to anticipate and respond to human needs. 
And then the third big area is around immersive experiences, empowering uh, all kinds of um, you know, vertical areas like retail and education and theme parks and museums uh, to create fully immersive and unforgettable experiences for their customers. Um, I think that's, that's, that's probably about as much as I should say right now. <laughs> <laughs> so watch the space and come to your press release. Um, so, so that, you know, when you're, you're talking through some of these new solutions, obviously it aligns very nicely with, with CES and some of the key themes that we see. Uh, mobility and 5G is, is going to be a very big story this year. Um, smart cities, you've talked about intelligent living. I presume that focuses around, you know, how we're going to, you know, live, work and play in the future. Um, so it sounds like um, there's really close alignment between how CES has grown as a show as well as how the Panasonic brand has evolved. Is that what keeps Panasonic coming back to CES? I think that um, what has been tremendous and, and highly valuable um, in, our, in our participation is the platform that is CES has, has flexed and grown with what's happening in the market and really keeping up with that outside-in uh, view of, of not just um, sort of resting on the heritage, but really looking forward and trying to always think about um, innovation as, as a driving principle. And um, there are many, you know, obviously there's a lot of lines blurring across industries. Cars are computers, computers are cars. And so I think a lot of businesses find themselves being um, disrupted in many different ways, uh, especially by technology itself, but also delivery models, uh, the consumerization of, of the buying process. You know, we, we talk about B2C and B2B2C or B2G, but really at the end of the day, we, we are all individuals. And um, even those B2B buyers are actually uh, uh, looking, you know, they, they are experiencing a certain type of engagement with technology and experiences in their personal lives. And um, they, uh, you know, expect the same in their, in their work lives. So uh, in talking to our customers and in truly understanding their issues, uh, we aim to co-innovate um, and to think about uh, these people as individuals and whether they're making or influencing a purchase decision um, and how they define value um, is going to be very different. So it's not always, you know, a price or cost or meeting a spec. I think those are table stakes. But it could be the ease of doing business. It could be operational. It could be individual or even inspirational. Um, and so it's really important to think about those things. And as we spend our time and our resources, how do we connect with those buyers and influencers at scale? And, and that's what we feel CES offers us. So I'm going to ask a a slightly different question this time or slightly different focus. Um, you and I met last year when you were speaking on the CMO panel at our C-Space uh, Storyteller stage. You were part of a, a great panel there. Um, C-Space, for those who don't know, um, is really the part of CES that's targeted at CMOs, brands, the content industry, the advertising industry. They get together and essentially look at the future of technology's impact in that industry. So taking off your maybe your Panasonic hat, but putting on your, your CMO hat, what do you see as the role of the CMO going forward in terms of technology and technology trends within organizations? I mean, I think, you know, 
there's there's so much opportunity and there's the, the pace of change is happening so quickly. I mean, look at even just the, the practice and discipline of marketing has accelerated and changed uh, because of different technologies that, that you know, there's 5,000 plus, uh, you know, MarTech vendors out there that substantively change, you know, how we do our jobs every day. Um, but it's really important to not get caught up in, in having the tech for tech's sake and to really continue to remember that everything is about the consumer. So, uh, and, and by consumer, I mean really the buyer, right? The, the buyer um, who you're targeting, either the immediate buyer or that customer's mm-hmm. customer. Um, and I think it's really important to think about how can you engage with them on their terms and there's no shortage of technologies that enable us to do that. So I know you don't want to give away anything that <laughs> you're going to cover in your press conference, but can you tell us a little bit about what people can see uh, with uh, with Panasonic? It's what they'll see at CES 2019. So maybe a little teeny bit. So <laughs> um, you know, we we we've heard so much about autonomous driving, and and, and obviously that's. Um, Something that CTA tracks very closely, as do, do we as a as a, as a, a supplier in in the space. Um, but you know, um, I'll tease out the the point that um, you know there's there's the vehicle, but then there's also the roadway. So you know, a lot of incredible innovation is happening on that side of the equation. And um, I'll look forward to uh, everybody participating in our live stream or in person at our press conference when we have some news to share there. But as a high-level professional marketing expert, um, Lauren, you're remarkably reserved in (laughs) in keeping everything under wraps. Um, Panasonic always puts on uh, such a great show at CES and delivers such meaningful uh, technology and innovations. Really looking forward to seeing you again, Lauren. And uh, when the curtain is finally lifted, I'm sure we'll be standing right there. Awesome. Thank you both. This has been so much fun and uh, kind of getting me in the, the excite, getting excited about uh, what, what's going to happen a few uh, short weeks from now. Thank oh, you. It's going to be a blast. Thank you, Lauren. All right. I hope you now feel sufficiently CES ready. But if you don't, we can help. What you want to do, step one, download the CES app. You can find your favorite exhibitors. You can build your personal agenda. You can also sync in real time across your devices. And new for the 2019 show, you can connect to your LinkedIn account and see which of your connections are also attending CES 2019. Step two, go to ces.tech. That's where you'll find the info you need about the show running January 8th through the 11th. That's CES 2019 in Las Vegas. As always, none of this is possible without our true stars, engineer John Lindsay and producer Tina Anthony. You two are the very best in the business. I'm Tyler Suters. Thank you all for joining us, and let's talk tech again soon.